was wonderful to be able to uh, worship together like that, wasn't it? And uh, we, we just praise God with all the new restrictions. We were, we were waiting for the news when we heard the stage four restrictions were coming and we were praying that we would be able to continue to meet like this and so thank God that we can. And so we will continue to do this as long as we can and uh, who knows what the future holds but we'll do our best and um, what a wonderful way to come together. So wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, uh, a huge welcome. It's wonderful to have you with us here uh, this morning. And as you're all sitting there, I want you to try to imagine uh, about 100, 150 other people. I think there's 95 devices tuned in that we know of at the moment. Uh, there's people sitting on their lounges right now watching this. There are people who are praying together with us. We're doing this one in spirit and that's wonderful to be able to do. And we've been looking at this series, we've been looking at this series titled Lord Teach Us to Pray. Uh, in the midst of this uh, crazy season, I know personally I'm finding myself praying all the more. I need it all the more and I hope that this uh, series is encouraging you in your own walk. And we know that prayer is an, an essential part of the Christian life. We know that, don't we? E.M. Bounds says these words, God does his best best work for the world through prayer. God's greatest glory and man's highest good are secured by prayer. Prayer forms the godliest people and makes the godliest world. What wonderful words and I'm sure as you're hearing those, amen, yes, I understand that. But we also understand, we also understand that prayer is a journey, that it, it is a struggle at times. I mean, at times it's the most natural thing that we can imagine when we find ourselves in a situation and we, we call that help or we call that hallelujah. But then there are those times where it is the most awkward and difficult thing that we can possibly muster. When I began this series, I shared a story about early African converts who were earnest and regular in their private devotions and each one reportedly had a separate spot in the thicket where they would pour out their heart to God. And over time, the paths to these places became well-worn and as a result, if one of the believers began to neglect prayer, it was soon apparent to the others and they would kindly remind the negligent one, brother, sister, the grass grows on your path. And so I wonder how the grass grows on your path. How goes your prayer journey? Has it improved since we began this theme? I pray that it's been encouraging you. I pray that it's been challenging you in your own journey of prayer. I'm sure it has identified the need to grow. I pray that it has fueled your desire to come back to God in prayer all the more. Like the early disciples who came to Jesus with the question, Lord, teach us to pray so we can come and ask with yearning hearts. So we've been focusing on the Lord's Prayer as we find recorded in the book of Luke and in Matthew. We began by looking at why, why we pray, why would we do such a thing. We also looked at how to pray. And then last week Pastor John looked at the idea of beginning the Lord's Prayer with adoring or with adoration, with those words, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Today we're going to continue. And the theme is intercession. You see, we are invited to come to pray for God's work to be done in our personal lives and in 
our world. We read this from Matthew 6. Pray like this, says Jesus. O Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And so today we're going to focus on verse 10. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And remember that this prayer is taught to us by Jesus. In a sense, this is a masterclass on prayer from the very master himself. A lesson and an invitation. This, this prayer is an invitation that starts with a, a, a wonderful recognition of who God is and invites us to call him by name, Father. What, what a relational way to come to God. And then the prayer continues to encourage us to adore him, to focus on who he is, to come with worship, to come with adoration. And the prayer continues in this light. As our eyes are focused on the Father, as our eyes are focused on Him, so it now encourages us to continue to focus our attention on His work in our world, both personally and in the wider world around us. So today I'd like to unpack two ideas in the midst of this. Firstly, as we pray these words, as we pray this prayer, we are reminded, firstly, humble our hearts, to humble our hearts before God. For the prayer continues with the words, your kingdom come, your will be done, not my will be done. It doesn't start with, Lord, may my kingdom come, but Father, your will be done. Now, if we're going to be honest, we find that it is a part of our human nature to build and to shape our own kingdoms. We tend to chase and, and seek things that enable us to be comfortable or to be in control. We seek to be the masters of our own destinies. Have you heard that? And yet this prayer starts very differently. It encourages us to focus and to align our hearts with the will and the desires of God. It's this human nature that led to the very downfall of humankind right from the very beginning. The first instance through Adam and Eve who were created in a perfect place, the Garden of Eden, not tainted by sin in any form. And they were given one instruction. They were invited to enjoy this place, to enjoy God, to enjoy the fruit of every tree except for one, the fruit of one tree. And their response, thanks God. Thank you very much for your encouragement, but I want it. My will be done, not yours. See, this is the very heart, it's the very nature of sin when we pursue our own kingdoms, not God's. And so when we read these words, they bring us back to the Father. They remind us again of who He is. And it reminds us again that we have been restored through Jesus Christ in him. It's a reminder that we are restored followers of Jesus Christ. 
I love Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember, says Paul, as he writes these words to this church, you used to live in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. We have been brought near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we don't live a life for ourselves anymore. We have a new life in him, a redeemed life. And it's a life that comes with a new focus and a new purpose. We no longer build our own kingdom anymore. We don't selfishly pursue our own desires. We align ourselves with what God has for us. In Galatians 2.20, but three verses that talk about this new life we have. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ, for it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See that our, our new life we have in Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 1 to 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you see as we read Colossians that as believers in Christ, our, our focus is shifted, it's changed. We no longer live for ourselves. Christ has redeemed us and so we live our lives for him and for his purposes. And in Philippians 1.20, Paul writes these words, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honour to Christ, whether I live or whether I die, for to me living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. See, see Paul here captures this idea. His life was dedicated to living for Christ. For me to live, he says, is to live for Christ, for his kingdom. Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. We're also reminded that we no longer live for our purposes. That is, we live a life surrendered to Christ. I love the song that we sang um, earlier today. I surrender all. That's the very heart of a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you and we surrender our lives to you. We, We live for you. Evan Roberts said these words, Lord, Bend us according to your will. Bend us. So often our prayers are focused on convincing God, aren't they? Bending him to our will. I love E. Stanley Jones who who writes these words. He uh, captures this this picture beautifully. He, He writes this, Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat, and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. Isn't that a beautiful image? As we come, we humble our hearts before God 
surrender ourselves to him and to his purposes. We come and we relinquish our right to be in control. We align ourselves to God's will in our lives. As I say these things, some of you might be thinking, I relinquish control, I surrender. No, like there's a part of us that says, I don't want to do that. I want to live life my way. That doesn't sound like much of a life at all. And here is the lie of sin. That Adam and Eve picked off a tree. By chasing their own will, they were separated from God. By wanting things their way, they found themselves separated from the very thing they were created for, a relationship with God. You see, as we come and as we, we humble ourselves before God, we find ourselves walking with our Father in heaven. What a relationship. And there's amazing freedom and forgiveness in this place. As we come to him, a burden lifts as we fall to our knees and we're reminded once again that God is in control. I know for myself personally in all of this, that's why this prayer has been so freeing because as I come and as I focus on him and as I align my heart to his, I'm reminded again that, wait, this is not my burden to carry. He has it. In this moment, I may not see what he is doing or even understand it, I can release myself into his caring and all-powerful arms. As Jesus called, come to me all who are weary, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. There's freedom in this place. Burden is released. And so I encourage you in this season, come to the Lord in prayer, humble your heart before him. Seek his will to be done in this time. We find that as we come and as we surrender our, ourselves to God's will, we discover that we become a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. When all we do is pursue our own life or our, our own interests, our world is rather, rather small. Our focus is rather narrow. And in this place where we come and we pray, Lord, may your work be done, we find that all of a sudden we become a part of something far greater, something far bigger than ourselves. You see, as we pray this prayer, we are invited to partner with God. Remember these are words that Jesus encouraged us to pray, that he taught us to pray. It's an invitation to come and to pray these words. It's an invitation to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's an invitation to partner with his work in our world. We're invited to partake in God's kingdom, arriving and breaking into the very world in which we live. We are invited to play a part in God's plan. Almost mind-blowing if you think about it, Karl Barth said these words, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. I love that line. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. 
This is a mystery, a mysterious way in which God works in that he chooses to partner. He doesn't need to, but he chooses to partner with us to bring salvation to his world. We are chosen to be involved in carrying out supernatural change in the world in which we live. We're called to share his word and we're called to pray. And by prayer to make a radical difference in the world in which we live. For prayer changes things. Pete Krieg says these words in his book, How to Pray. It is an article of Christian faith and a consistent theme of universal Christian experience that sicknesses can sometimes be healed, curses broken, churches revived, communities shaped, catastrophes prevented, governments redirected and the future formed by the simple power of intercessory prayer. The Bible teaches that prayer is vastly powerful, far more powerful than we often realise or come to believe. There was an interesting story that comes out of a small town in Texas For a bar owner applied for a permission to extend his premises. That's the local pub. But members of the local Baptist church were staunchly opposed to his plans and launched a ferocious campaign with protests, press releases, petitions and even prayer meetings. However, planning permission was still granted and the building work began. The Christians felt felt bitterly disappointed until the week before the grand opening when a lightning bolt struck the bar and burned it to the ground. The church folk were beside themselves with joy. Their prayers had been answered. Their cause was vindicated. And so the furious bar owner decided to sue the church on the grounds that it was ultimately responsible for the material demise of his livelihood, whether through direct or indirect actions or means. Suddenly... Everyone changed their tune pretty quickly. All those who'd been trumpeting a miracle days before now rose up as one to deny all culpability. The case made its way to court where a judge surveyed the brief. He said this, I don't know how I'm going to to decide this, he sighed. We appear to have a publican who believes passionately in the power of prayer and in an entire congregation that has lost its faith entirely. Interesting story. We often speak of the power of prayer and deny it at times. Yet throughout scripture we see examples of God working with humankind time and time again to make an extraordinary difference in our world. I'd like to focus on a few examples that we see in scripture. For I find this whole idea absolute mystery that God would partner with us. In Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 22 verse 30, God has spent much time bringing rebuke against his people, the Israelites, for they, like they did many on many occasions, have walked away from God, turned to idols. They've sought their own kingdoms once again. And in in a lament and in a call, God cries out in verse 30 in chapter 22, I looked for someone who might rebuild the walls of righteousness that guards the land. 
I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. What an interesting passage. What we see is that God is looking for one person in this land, one righteous one who would pray and to stand up for and to intercede for this place, but he could not find one. God searches in vain for someone to stand before me in the gap. And that's an interesting, that's interesting language. It's, it's, a, it's picture language, someone to stand in the gap. It's an image for what it means to be intercessors in prayer. See, intercess, intercessors are those who stand before God on the one hand and behalf of an issue, a person, a situation in our world on the other. They mediate between heaven and earth as equal friends of both, pleading with God on behalf of people and with people on behalf of God. The literal definition of an intercessor is the act of intervening or mediating between two parties. Someone standing between two parties. And so we find ourselves crying out to God on behalf of the needs and situation of our world. That's the invitation. And God is seeking for those who would stand in the gap, who would cry out for the needs of our world. Again, Pete Craig says these words in his book. He says, All too easily my prayers can mostly be about me, but intercession requires my own centre of gravity to shift away from my own personal needs towards those of others. In the words of Richard Foster, he writes, If we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them and this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. We're invited to intercede, to pray on behalf of the needs of those around us and of our world. Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, may your restoration come to this world. We also see an example in 2 Chronicles. In chapter 7, verse 14, again, this is God speaking to his people. He says, and it's an invitation, if my people who were called by my name will humble themselves, first point, Humble ourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. God is saying, if my people will humble themselves before me and cry out, cry out seeking forgiveness on behalf. Now, this is written to a group of people crying out on behalf of a nation. I will forgive them. I will even restore their land. I think about our own world and our own nation at the moment. We need healing. Our land needs healing. So this is a challenge, an encouragement, an invitation for us to fall to our knees in humility and cry out to God on behalf of our nation, behalf of our city, behalf of our street, behalf of our neighbours and to cry out and say, Lord, hear our cry. Heal our land, restore us, Father. Restore our land, restore our nation. But it's a simple thing that we can all do. 
I know often when I think about this idea of intercession, we, we think of those who, who pray boldly, with great and eloquent words. And yet often the most humble prayers, the most real are in the quiet places for those whom we love, our neighbours, our friends. It's something we can all do. We can come to our knees and cry out for those around us simply need God to work in their life. So I encourage you, I encourage you in this time, humble yourself before God and think of those around you who you could be praying for, who you can be bringing before God that God's will, that God's kingdom might come and make a difference to their situation. I'd like to also include an example from the New Testament. It's an example of the early church. Peter is put into prison and I'd like to read the the account. I I think it's a wonderful story. This used to be one of my favourites as a kid actually in the book of Acts and it comes from Acts chapter 12. Uh, Grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, you can pause and go get one. No excuse. Go grab one and read along from Acts chapter 12 from verse 1. It says this, About that time... King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. Okay, so he's the king. He's persecuting the church. He had the apostle James, that's John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, get your highlighter and your pens, the church prayed very earnestly for him. They interceded. And then we continue to read, The night before Peter was placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. And then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell, following the angel. But all the time he just thought it was a vision. He didn't realise it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street and then the angels suddenly left them. And then Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realised this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. They're still praying. He knocked at the door in the, at the gate and a servant named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. Don't you love that image? She runs off to tell everyone and Peter's like, hey, I'm here, <laughs> let me in. You're out of their mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided, well, I guess it must be an angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. 
he motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. What a wonderful story. What a miraculous event. I love the fact in this that the Christians who were praying can't actually believe that their prayers are answered. As they're praying, Peter comes and they're like, surely not. Surely not. Yet they obediently pray. And by doing so, by interceding on behalf of Peter, a miraculous event takes place and he is freed. Now we may not see this type of miraculous event every time we pray. But it's an encouragement to pray because when we pray, God hears and things happen. I love this quote from Oswald Chambers who says, The real business of your life is intercessory prayer. Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Wow. (laughs) Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Can I be honest? These words hit me hard. Because I know even in my own life and I think a part of our culture, we always pray for something. We come to pray pray for this to go well or for our journeys or it's always for something, for the work that we're going to do. Yet in this encouragement is this simple idea that prayer is the work itself. And I know as I read this, not the Holy Spirit imprint on my heart to pray for the sake of praying, for prayer is the work of God. Pray for our work. And in the midst of this, I'd like to finish with an invitation. You see, well, we've got these wonderful examples, but we're also invited further, beyond the Lord's Prayer, beyond what Jesus is saying in 1 Timothy 2.1. As clear as day, I urge you then, First of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. Pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. These these words that Paul wrote to Timothy. Pray for your nation, for the kings, for those in authority. So it's an encouragement for us in this time to lift up our nation to lift up our leaders in prayer. It's so easy, isn't it, to to look at the news or to look at some of the stories there and and the media and, and, and of course, many news articles are written about those who are leading at this time. It's, It's easy to be critical of what they're doing, to point fingers at maybe their mistakes, how they could have done things better. But I guess I'm reminded that they're human too and they need our prayer, they need our support. This is far beyond them. This is a burden far greater than they can possibly carry. And so in this time, it's an encouragement to pray for them, that God would humble them, that they would cry out to him, that God will give them wisdom to lead in one of these most unique seasons in history. Our criticisms turn to prayer intercessory prayer for them, for our nation, for those around us. 
who need a work of God in their lives. What a privilege. What a privilege to come and to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What a privilege. We're reminded to humble our hearts before God in these words. We are invited to partner with God, to intercede for our world, to see his kingdom, to see his will be done in our world the way that it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great privilege. And if we have taken it for granted that we can pause even right now and cry out to you, Lord, forgive us. Help us not to take this seemingly simple act for granted that we can come and cry out to the creator of the universe. That we can come to you boldly seeking your counsel. We can come to you, Lord, in prayer. And so humble us, Lord. Remind us again that we need you. That we need your forgiveness. That we need Jesus and all that he has done for us. Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you. Thank you, Lord, that you invite us to be a part of something much greater, far bigger than just our own lives. Thank you that we can be a part of seeing your kingdom come here on earth. Father, that we can be a part of seeing your work being done in this world. Thank you that you would trust us, call us to partner with you in this way. It is a deep and utter privilege. And so now we continue to pray, Lord, for our world, for our nation. May your kingdom come, Lord. Lord, humble us and heal our land. We also think on a more personal note, Lord, bring to mind those whom we know, names of people, family, friends, neighbours who don't know you, need an intervention from you, who need to see you working in their lives. Father, we come and we name them in our hearts right now. We pray that you would do your work in their lives, that they may come to see you and to see you for who you really are. And we thank you that you hear our prayers. We give you praise. We give you thanks. And it's all made possible because of the mighty name of Jesus. We say, Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the the team to come up, the team of two, (laughs) to lead us and to close us as uh, we continue to worship God in this time.